Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Man on Campus for Wednesday, June 22nd, 2020. My name is Charles Taylor Schwink. I am the producer of Bald Man on Campus. I am not bald, but fear not. A member of the Bald Brotherhood is here with me, Seth Greenberg. How you doing, my man? I am doing great. By the way, this is big time. I mean, we've got rid of the other bald-headed guys. we got a bearded, well-cured, you know, cerebral host right now. Wow. So I'm actually a real host. I mean, you went from a producer to a guru, to a host. I mean, and and by the way, you cleaned up pretty good for this one today. I appreciate it. I didn't shower this morning. I showered last night. So, you know, my hair, it's more like greasy than anything, but it looks okay on camera. So we got that going for us. Uh, I so always say mine. <laughs> I love, you're always committed to the hat game. You're always said before we get into the NBA stuff, I just got to admire uh, your your wardrobe, you know, you always come dressed nicely on the podcast, but when I see you out on the social media streets, you're always dressed impeccably and you're always throwing in. You've got you've clearly got some sort of hookup with uh, with a haberdasher of some sort. I, I think you turned your your wedding anniversary into a, a pitch for clothing at some point. Can you explain what you've got going on in terms of your uh, your, your your clothing deal? I just I may have a couple people that uh, I'm I'm far from a from a male model, you know. But I mean, you're very influential. Radio. Oh, I'm very influential. <laughs> yes, I'm very influential, and uh, you know, I mean, my stuff is is good. I don't want I can't I can't use the podcast to you know to plug things. That's but, fair. Uh, let but 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 if you follow me on Instagram, I mean, those shirts are really really nice. Oh yeah. All right, go check them out. So a couple things we're going to tackle here. So there's no Jay Billis today. He's uh, very busy getting ready for the NBA draft. Um, he's uh, he's doing TV, probably get uh, up. He's doing Sports Center. He's doing individual hits, interviews. I mean, he's a very busy man, and, and, that, know, and that's in between playing in every nice golf course in America. You know, he loves him a swim in Lake Billis. So this is this is his time of year. This in March Madness. A Lake Billis. Yes, like <laughs> he loves him. Sub Jay Billis. Just, so just take a dive it. in, swim around. The water's hey, warm. Hey, 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 we all love a little bit of ourselves. Of that's course, true. of course, and and that's the Golden Rule podcast. And if you're not there on the podcast, you're going to get made fun of. So Jay can take those bullets for sure. Um, but you can watch him on Thursday on the NBA draft. That is going to be on at 8 p.m. Eastern. June 23rd, and uh, I think it's on ESPN and ABC, but I would encourage you to listen to the ESPN draft coverage on ESPN Radio with the great Seth Greenberg, Alan Hahn, Corey Alexander. Who else is on there? Uh, Myself, Alan Hahn, Corey Alexander, and the great PJ Carlissimo. Ooh, legend, legend. So that'll be a lot of fun. You've done that in years past, right? Yeah, I did it last year. We We had a great time, quite honestly last year not a good time but a great great time last year i mean it was pj so funny and so much fun uh last year we had did it with mark kestershire i'm going to be doing a show from seven to eight with with mark kestershire who's not good on radio oh he is great on radio you know kesty I mean, his his cube is right and we sit next to each other in the office i don't ever see him but uh, if you ever look for him in the office, you'll you'll find me right above the radio studio. So that's that's a fun back fact about Kesty. I, I apparently he's a I, you know you know you know it's one thing I, I might get you some WRK shirts. I'm I, I might have to get you some of those. All right, I'm I'm all in. All, all, 
all weather. I mean, a little stretchy. So, you know, in case you put on a couple of pounds, I was just oh, thinking, yeah. you know, maybe, you know, get you a little nice collared shirt, nice little pattern, clean you up a little bit for all those public appearances you do. Oh, so many. I, I really love your social media hustle. I really love the all everyone at ESPN, their their side hustles, and I, mostly because I'm like jealous of them all, you know? Lemon Perfect. Great water, by the way. Lemon Perfect. Uh, oh. It's nothing better. <laughs> Most refreshing on the golf course drink you could possibly have. Lemon Perfect. I'm telling you, it's it, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Started by a, a guy, Yanni Huffmagel, who was a, an assistant basketball coach at Harvard at one time. Oh. Nevada at one time, Cal at one time, and this stuff is blowing up. I drink it. Beyonce drinks it. Some famous. Oh man, there you go. You and Beyonce. That's a that's a Venn diagram. I I never thought I'd draw up. Put those two together, right? Figure it out. (laughs) You got you got a lot. It's still a lot of hair if you put you two together. Uh, I think she can compensate for both of you. You're uh you're a busy man uh on other fronts as well because you are calling TBT games again, right? That's why we're recording this uh, at about 7:50 in the morning right now. Yeah, uh, TBT's coming up. It's coming up middle of July. My first region is the Omaha region, then I go to the Syracuse region. Syracuse last year, Bam Samri obviously won it with a big time shot, uh which we called in, in advance. But TBT is great. Like and I I say it all the time. What the great thing about the TBT no marshmallows need to apply. If you don't mm-hmm. compete, you have no chance to win. The Elam ending is absolutely incredible. Oh, Every game it. ends on a winning shot, which is absolutely terrific. Uh, you know, ESPN, we always talk about memorable. You've got alumni teams, so you got a chance for players to come back, put on the jersey one more time, have that shared experience. You have teams with a cause. What do you mean by that is like Team Challenge ALS, which is bringing awareness to obviously ALS, uh, Team Sideline Cancer, Team Autism's Army. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these teams, it's it's more than just basketball. Uh, it's bigger than basketball. It's it's bringing awareness uh, and trying to help raise money to uh, fight these dreaded diseases. Uh, and it's kind of a family because you see teams come back year after year. Uh, you know, to me, uh, I'm not sure there's a summer event where anyone plays harder for a longer period of time. because mm-hmm. it's, it's like going to the park, man. You lose, you're out. Yep. You're gone. Boom. Go home. And at the end of the day, you're playing for a million dollars. So you've got really high-level former NBA players, a lot of European players. Uh, and uh, to me, it's uh, I'm talking about fiercely competitive. And mm-hmm. the Elam ending is so different than obviously a timed ending because in the Elam ending, you know, if you're down in the game, you might have to foul to try to get back in the game. You're playing against the clock. In the Elam ending, you just get a stop in a basket. You know, you can get back in games. So in the last four minutes, they turn off the clock. They set a target score and target score set. Uh, the team that's leading has to get to the target score. Obviously, the team that's losing has to score whatever to catch up and get the target score. And it's 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 really, really exciting. So I, I, I love the TBT. Uh, John Mugard does a great job. Uh, to me, it's high energy. It's on the family networks. And uh, I'm excited to be part of it. That's great. I, I, you know me, I'm a, I'm a hoops junkie as well. So I, I will watch a fair amount of the TBT and I, I am a Maryland guy, but I did spend some time at West Virginia. So I really like that best Virginia squad. Shout out John Flowers. And they've, they've got Devin Ebanks coming on who was drafted number 43 overall in the NBA draft. Uh, spent a little time with the Lakers, the Mavericks, a lot of time playing overseas, but he is joining their squad and that's a big addition for them. He's a versatile guy, uh, plays good defense, can shoot the three a little bit. And I know you, you expressed disappointment in me that you're not going to be in their bracket because they turned into like local celebrities over there. 
Yeah. Yeah, I love the Charleston bracket. I mean, Charleston bracket's it's absolutely and and you got a potential for West Virginia to play her that, which is the Marshall team. That'll that'll draw eight, nine thousand people and be unbelievable in Charleston Coliseum. And the people in Charleston were absolutely terrific oh, yeah. last year. Not too far from the Greenbrier, which is a great place mm. to be looking for a vacation. I had uh, my daughter had her wedding there last year. Ah. It's just a, it really it's a pretty part of the country, and they have great, they love their basketball. They really they love their mountaineers, and they love the thundering herd, and uh, they support the tournament at a high level. The facility is great. Um, yeah, I'm disappointed. Uh, I get to go to Omaha, which is another place that has great fans. Doug mm-hmm. McDermott, yeah. not playing, but will be an assistant coach. Oh, very cool. For the Blue Crew, which Dougie will be buckets. the Omaha Blue Crew, which will be interesting. Uh, over time, Elite, you know, the team that uh, is basically taking high school kids and selling them on a dream of potentially being NBA players, uh, they're putting in the <laughs> team. And the Thompson Twins will be there. They're projected as a first-round draft choices a year from now. So they're going to have high school players playing against these grizzled pros. I think that's going to be a fun thing to watch. Uh, AM's Army at once again reloaded, so that's going to be a, a fun thing to watch. It, it, the tournament is great. I mean, it really, really is. It's uh, it's fun. It's intense. It's high energy. It's it's going to be really good. Very cool. All right. Well, let's talk a little NBA draft here. Let's tap into that that large cranium of yours with all that knowledge. You watch these guys all year. It's a weird, these drafts, that's a weird mishmash of the pro people coming in, handing things off from the college people. Um, you know, you've seen these guys a billion times in. So let's go through your, you sent me a list. You said it was your top five prospects. I think it's your top six, really top five plus like an X factor. Top five guy. and then there's, then, then Sharp is kind of like the X factor. Yeah. Okay. You know? So, so your number one, give us your number one guy and. And, and why he has the edge over them two my and three number, guys. My number one guy is Jabari Smith. Well, I think he's, he has the greatest upside. He's not Kevin Durant, but he's a Kevin Durant uh, in terms of body, feel, shot making, skill set, young, upside, terrific defender, uh, has a middle game, shoots the three comfortably, can play and pick and pop, can short roll, pretty good passer. Uh, and, and you got to look at it. It's Orlando Magic. They, they've, they've drafted uh, a number of thinner prospects like the Mo Bombas of the world that haven't worked out. So I, they can't go with Chet Holmgren because, you know, again, it, he's too much like those guys, has a little bit of if in his game. Paolo Bencaro is a guy they could have drafted, 6'10", 255. I just think Jabari Smith's upside is different. I think his upside different. He's going to continue to get stronger. He can really shoot the ball. He's got versatility defensively. Uh, I, I think that uh, from my research and sources he's going to be the number one pick in the nba draft okay there we go so then who who's up at number two who's your second best player on your board my second place player on the board would be would be paul mancaro but i think i think they're gonna i think okay he'll probably go with with, with homer but I, I i'm gonna talk about bad care bad care is the best passing big guy in the draft I, I, everyone talks about bad care and i saw him make all those threes against against gonzaga early in the season they you know see his size his strength um you know his some of his versatility. He has it was he didn't shoot a great percentage from the three point line, but he can make a three point shot. But to me, the thing that sets him apart is his ability to pass. Think Chris Webber. I mean, he's a big with skills that can really, really pass the ball. Now, not a committed defender. I don't know if that is his situation yet. At Duke, Duke just didn't defend the way they have in the past. They haven't for the last yeah. five, six years, quite honestly. Uh, his attention to def- defensive uh, principles, his attention to detail defensively in terms of 
you know, taking plays off. Uh, to me, it is an issue until you sh- you see that he he doesn't do that. But big body, really skilled, great passer, good feel, uh, versatility offensively. Doesn't have great versatility defense. I'm not sure he can switch and keep the ball in front. Uh, you know, look, NBA is all about defending ball screens and defending off ball screens and being alert defensively. He just wasn't as alert defensively as I would have liked to see him. But he's still a terrific prospect and a guy that potentially you know will be an all-star so then chet holmgram has to be your third guy but i've got some reservations about him i mean he's he is that skinny big man i feel like those guys strike out in the nba at a higher clip than like any other kind of prospect and in that game against texas tech in the tournament i just i just feel like he didn't have it i mean he we've seen it a lot but when he his team really needed it from him he didn't produce he got pushed around uh, you know that left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth but that's okay. What do you think about Chet Holgram? Well, everyone says he's a unicorn. Have you ever seen a unicorn? What is a unicorn? I, up to the I interpretation. Mean, it's a fictional, <laughs> I, I mean, it's a kind of a fictional figure, right? I mean, like, so, I mean, I like him. Oh, he's a unicorn. I'm, I, I don't, I mean, like, so what is a unicorn? Is a unicorn a real thing? No, it's not a real thing. It's a made up thing. So why are people calling the dude a unicorn? Um, look, Chet Holgram is really, really skilled. He's got seven, I think, seven, six wingspan, seven footer can shoot the three. I struggle, and I talked to one NBA GM uh, yesterday, actually. Guys have, you got to have a lower base. Like, you can be thin, but you've got to have strength in your lower body to mm-hmm. hold the spot, uh, you know, to get over a screen, to fight through things, uh, to, 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 to carve out space. He doesn't have that, and, I, and he's got small hips. Small hips and a lower base, that concerns me. Now, look, can you shoot it? Yeah, you can shoot it. Can he take a defense free run and shit fast break? Sure, he can. How will he play? Will he be an 82-game player or will he be a playoff player? And there's a big difference, all right, because an 82-game player, obviously, the game is totally different in the regular season. But mm-hmm. in the playoffs, in the playoffs, it's much more physical. That type of body, how it's going to deal with the physicality. I mean, Crispus Pozingas was supposed to be this unicorn. <laughs> yep. Shoots the three, can pass it, versatile offensively. Now, I, I do think Holmgren's a more athletic, bouncier guy than that. Uh, very bright, uh, very good feel for the game. I thought he assimilated into the Gonzaga culture really well. But I think he still he still has ifs to me. And I know Mike Schmitz, who's going to go work for Portland Trailblazers, is absolutely in love with him. And Mike's seen, obviously, everyone. But I still think that. That's a risk-reward pick. Um, despite his skill set, despite his length, despite his impact on defensive end, despite his ability to shoot the three, despite uh, the, 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 the different ways he can impact winning, I still think he, there's a little bit of an if there because like you said a second ago, name me four or five guys like him mm-hmm. that have had success in the league. Because there's not a lot of guys you can pick. Now, some people say, well, there's no one been like him. But I, I just look at him and I, I think that when you try to say, how does his game, his game translate, his body doesn't translate. Right. There you That's go. That's a concern. All right. So in the number four spot on your big board, I feel like this is the, this guy is getting the most buzz out of everyone. Um, and, and why do you have him over the guy in your five spot? Can you reveal those two? Yeah, Jay Ivey is is a guy that um, part Russell Westbrook, part John Morant. 
intriguing. Now, I'm not saying he's just Russell Westbrook, and I'm not saying he is John Moran. Right. I said it's part. <laughs> Explosive in transition. Terrific transition pass. So now it's going to pass her in the half court of false screens. NBA, again, 82-game season. I think he's going to be phenomenal. Open floor, attack to the basket, second speed, all different types of ways to finish. A lot like Ja in terms of his versatility to finish around the basket. Uh, can make a shot. NCAA tournament was a little bit concerned for me. A little low, low, low release. Really struggled creating separation against St. Pete. Now, a lot of that is the game pressure and the style of play, and they pushed him out of step. And uh, freakish athlete, tremendous verticality, tremendous finisher, can get in the lane. Excellent open court player. I'd like to see him get that his release point a little bit higher. His release point is a little bit low off the bounce when he shoots it off the dribble. Defensively, uh, was not a committed defender. And Matt Painter's a very, very good defensive coach, but yep. was not. He just lost focus. Can he be a good defender? No doubt about it. That size, that strength, that athleticism, uh, he could be a terrific defender. But where his great value is, is his speed, his athleticism, his ability to make plays in the open court, his ability to get downhill, and his ability to finish. So why do you have him ranked over Keegan Murray to round out your top five? Yeah, that that, that was a, a tough choice. Uh, Keegan Murray defensively, also similar limitations, more in terms of can he keep the ball in front against smaller, quicker players. I do like Keegan Murray. And that the NBA is going to the six, seven, six, eight big wing players. Obviously, Jalen Browns, obviously, the Jason Tatum's. Uh, you need guys like that. Not as good off the bounce in terms of creating. That was that was probably my biggest differentiator. Extremely efficient. Can shoot the three. I talked to Tom Izzo the other day. He said he was the hardest matchup they've had in the Big Ten years. But not a guy that can just go flat. You know, create space like say now really you know, like a Tatum or a Brown, where he's you know boom boom change direction pull back, knock down a jumper. He'll pick and pop, he'll short roll, he'll run the floor. Uh, there was one game during the course of the season where he was struggling a little bit, but he got to the offensive last late and the game made a winning play. He could rebound that, rebound the ball, he could shoot it to the three in the college line. He can play off the elbow, he can play a little bit in isolation, on a quick drive, uh, just not as, uh, as explosive as Ivy and not just a, a flat fit into that hybrid forward of a Tatum and a Brown, but close. Mm. Okay. And we are going to close out. So this, again, this is not your sixth best available, but this guy is extremely interesting. Can you tell us who, who you, is your X factor to, to maybe crack this? Shane Sharp. I mean, like, I'm Sharp. think about this guy now a little bit now. No one's seen him in a year, except if he went to a Kentucky practice. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or if you watch pregame, because he would come out in pregame and do an individual workout. But, He's 6'7". He's a freak athlete. He can shoot the ball to the three comfortably. He's a creative passer. Um, he's got good size and strength. Now, here's the here, here's my negative side of Charles. Why didn't he play? Mm -hmm. right? Like, if you love, like, like all right, here's what we're You love what you do, right? Yeah, of course. Love to hear ESPN. So, like, all right. So, you love ESPN. You love to go to work. You embrace what you do. If you love what you do, I was disappointed. He, you know, and I know he's got advisors, and they they're they're concerned about his best interest. But if you love what you do, you take ownership, and you say, "Hey, I'm fine. I'm in great shape. Uh, I want to play. 
I'm not worried about it, how it could impact my draft status because I know how good I am. And I want to go out and compete. I want to go help Kentucky win the national championship. I want to build my resume. I already have that. I, you know, he's got the Lloyds of London insurance policy because he's going to be a, <laughs> a, a very important, you know, number uh, lottery pick. So that was a little concern for me. But speaking to the Kentucky people, absolutely love them. Did everything they asked him to do. Uh, a great teammate, high energy. He's just, you know, he's he's an if. Let's face it, he's an if because there's a difference between playing against cones and doing a, a workout, you know, a, a pro workout for, for scouts and playing in a game and, and, and citing things and making plays. Now, he's done that, but he hasn't done it at, at that level. I mean, I would think that when it, you know, wherever he gets drafted as the season starts, I don't think he'll shoot it the way he's capable of shooting. A lot of things, you see these G League night guys, these young players, shooting 25, 27, 30% from three-point line. That are pretty good shooters. Why are they shooting that? They don't know where the shots are coming from. All right, they don't have good shot selection. Uh, they don't know how to wait on screens. Uh, they, they're being contested with a little bit better length and maybe a little bit more strength. So it takes time. The speed of the game is a little bit different. The spacing of the game is a little bit different. So it might take time for him to assimilate into that. But you know, I don't have him in that top five. But I think he's an intriguing guy that that could have a monster season uh, because he's going to get drafted by a team that has a need. That is a great transition there because we were texting last night and I, I really am uh, interested in your opinion on this. Basically, draft, drafting need versus best available, I think that that changes, especially as the first round goes on. But where do you where do you stand on that GM, Seth Greenberg? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm all for if you're duplicating position, unless the guy's an all-star, unless the guy is, is going to end up being, you know, a, a player that will change your team's uh, destination, you've got you've got to draft on need. You've got to draft because you get like here's the thing, people understand it's not just collecting talent. It's it's basically creating a team and filling roles. Like if you know, here's a for example. If you drafted on talent, where would Draymond Green go? Mm, yeah. All right. You need to Draymond Green's to win championships. Of course. I mean, that's just the way it is. If you drafted just on, quote, on talent, what, why would the Boston Celtics keep Marcus Smart and move on from Kyrie Irving? Yeah, that's a great point. So, like, like to me, you know, obviously you need talent, you need, you need talent. But you also need winning players that fit roles, that fit your team, that fill voids to make you a better team. Because in the end, you need to be a better team. Al Horford, perfect example, all right, wasn't a fit, all right, in Philadelphia, was a fit in Boston, filled a need. Maybe they could have got a younger, more athletic player, but he filled a need. So I think you've got a draft in terms of, in relation to your roster, unless you can get one of those guys that you think can can take his game and your team to another level, and one of those guys that maybe in one year leapfrogs the, the player that's in front of him right. and can and take your organization to another level. And or you have to make a move. Like what did Memphis do? They got rid of Connolly. They brought in John Morant. They Morant. They handled the ball. That's a decision. Like Sacramento's going to have to make that decision potentially. Jaden Ivey. 
but you got the Aaron Fox. You got uh, you got Mitchell, right? They moved on from from uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Mm-hmm. So you're going to then bring another guy into that mix and say we're going to play three guards? I don't know, but you know you've. I, I think that's a big decision. Or if you're Sacramento, do you move on from Jay Ivey, use him, get some picks later in the draft, and get a veteran player that can coach your locker room? Because Sacramento's been Sacramento forever. So eventually they got to change what they're doing. And well, I'll tell you why. They've ha- they, they draft players, <laughs> right. but they don't have a locker room. They don't have anyone coaching their locker room. They don't have anyone teaching these young, talented players how to be pros. So you have these young, talented players. They come in, but they have no direction. And, and that's a real problem in terms of changing a culture and identity if you don't have anyone that can lead you. Because the coaches cannot – Hold players' hands 24-7. You're only as good as your locker room. I don't care what sport. I don't care what level. But you need some guys to teach young, talented players how to be pros, how to eat, how to get their rest, how to prepare for games, uh, how, how to take care of their bodies, all the things, uh, how, how to understand um, the, the pressures of having all this money. Yeah, uh, and and it's and a change of lifestyle and prioritizing, making sure you have your priorities in order. Uh, so there's a lot of things that that translate. That I think that if you don't have a good locker room, you continue to acquire talent without acquiring leadership. You have a problem, and I think that's what Sacramento's done. And I, I would be shocked to see them move off that pick if they could get a winning player to live in their locker room, to be in their locker room to help the young players develop. I really wanted to disagree with you, but after many years of the Wizards repeatedly drafting small forwards, Otto Porter, Kelly Oubre, Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia, I'm like, it, the, the NBA draft to me is like, it's one of the most confounding things in sports. It's so You guys might miss. end up with Sharp. Uh, sure, whatever. I mean, I'm kind of like indifferent about who they pick now because it's because uh, I really feel like trying to figure out whose college game is going to translate to the NBA is like one of the most confounding things in sports to me. So I used to be team draft, you know, whoever is highest on your board. But because it seems like it can be such a coin flip at times that like, yeah, you should draft for need. And, you know, maybe maybe you will draft a guy that you actually need rather than just loading up on the same position and just having, you know, some trade fodder at, at a certain point. So it, it can you be sound very bitter. You sound very, bitter. I am one of the most bitter wizards fans on the planet. There's a lot of bitter wizards fans, but, uh, I'm certainly up there. Um, let's run through a couple more things here. Uh, as we've gotten, got closer to the draft, which players do you have rising up your draft board? You told me yesterday you really liked Malachi Branham, big 10 freshman of the year out of Ohio state. People criticized him for coming out too early, but it kind of seems like he made the right call. Yeah, he's moved up the draft board. And Malachi Bryan is going to be a, a big, big-time player. Uh, I really believe that. He's got six, legitimate size, legitimate length. If you, you eliminate the first seven games of the season, from that point on, he was like 17 points, uh, 50 and 40. Uh, he can beat you off the bounce. He's got good strength. He's very, very good cutter. He's got a toughness about him. Uh, he's a committed defender. I think man, he's he's worked out great for people uh, for different teams. I love Mal. There are two guys I love. I love Malcolm Random and I love Benedict Matherman. I, and and that's been before all the hype the last two weeks. Both guys. It goes back to my thing about Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, big wings. The gate, you know, 
defensive versatility. Everyone talks about offensive versatility. I, I talk about defensive versatility. You got to have defensive versatility. Uh, and 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 Bradham's upside is, is is ridiculous. I think I think that Malachi Bradham will be a guy that will uh, his game will translate immediately to the NBA. I really and he is young as he is if he gets in the right locker room. Mm-hmm. Culture. You've taught me that more than anything uh, on this podcast is that culture is so key and across all sports. Really, it's opened my eyes. But uh, you know, former head coach culture and identity. Yeah, if culture you you can't you have to have a culture of accountability and someone's got to, and, and and consistency and then you got to have an identity. Guys got to know exactly who individually and collectively exactly who they are and how they win. The great thing about those Ohio State guys, and I'm big on EJ Liddell as a a later first round draft choice, is that you've got to have guys that are going to buy into a role because the NBA is a league of role players. You have mm-hmm. your Steph Curry's, you have your Jason Tatum's, but I'll tell you, you also have your PJ Tucker's. Yeah, you know, like why can't EJ Liddell be PJ Tucker? He can make an open three. He's physical. He can defend. Uh, he's an active defender. Contest shots. So I think those are the things that you've got to look at when you're looking in the draft. Um, but yeah, I love Branham. Uh, I, I think that his upside is ridiculous. I think you saw the light bulb go on, and when it went on, it stayed on. Like it wasn't like he had the thirty-five point game and then. You know, he took two games off. Once that light bulb went on and he knew exactly where his shots were coming from, when to attack, when not to attack, uh, when to push, when not to push. Uh, didn't shoot a ton of threes, but shot a decent percentage. Uh, I think he's just going to continue to get better. I went and watched him practice in, in October. And I walked in the gym and uh, about 20 minutes, Chris Holtman comes over to me and he goes, what do you think? And I obviously came more to see E.J. Liddell and just their team because I'm a big Chris Holton fan. I think he's a terrific, terrific coach. And I said, that dude over there, I think it was 22, it was his number, said, he's different. He said, every guy that's walked into, into this gym has said the same thing. The way he carried himself, the way he went through the drills, uh, Brandon was extremely, extremely impressive to me. Who are some other guys uh, as college basketball fans that we're going to see get picked up a little bit later in the draft? You mentioned EJ Liddell. Any any more of those guys standing out to you? Well, one of one of the guy I think that's going to go early uh, is is Benedict Matherin, who's who's shooting up in his workouts. Uh, straight line driver, shoots the three, terrific cutter, um, has a maturity defensively, has a physical body really runs the floor hard. He reminds me a lot, a lot of Jalen Brown, like a lot of Jalen mm. Brown, where his handle will continue to get better uh, as, as he moves on. You know, I, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm big into categories. You know I mean? I mean right. That's just, that's kind of like my thing of categories. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, like sleepers and these guys are way, way down the list. I'm just going to like, sure. I think, uh, I think Dallin Terry, at Arizona is another one at six, seven, a terrific open court passer, a terrific multi-position defender, uh, can shoot it well enough. Excellent feel good, good vision in the half court, uh, rebounds his position, long athletic. I think he's a guy that, you know, to me is a little bit of a sleeper. Uh, I think that 
you know, Josh Minot, who's going to go late in the second round, is a guy that will make a roster. Played at Memphis, hardly even played, but he's 6'8", fairly skilled, uh, good length, uh, will buy in. So those those are some guys that I kind of like. But here, here are a couple guys that I think are undervalued. Kennedy Chandler, Tennessee, and Mark Williams from Duke. Kennedy Chandler, undervalued. Got a little Darius Garland in. All right? Mm-hmm. A little slight. Not as strong as you'd like him to be. Think about the first 10 games of the season. Think about the last 20 games of the season. Found his flow. Can play in ball screens. Can shoot the three. Uh, active defender. Can really push it. Got a second gear. Uh, has a feel. Has, is a point guard. That can be a quote-unquote ball guard. You know me and my ball guard. Term. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, to me, he's uh, he can score it, has a lot of runners and different ways to finish. I think Kenny Chandler is a little bit undervalued right now. Mark Williams of Duke, I know everyone doesn't want to, want to talk about the, the, the big man is dead. Well, you know, Mark Williams can switch ball screens and lay clock. Uh, he can rim protect. He can rim run. Uh, he can play in the dunker spot. He's got that big physical body. He's only going to get better. He's got a great work ethic, 100% bought into his role. Um, didn't see him step out and shoot it, but you know, I think eventually uh, if he can make a 15-footer, that's going to be a positive. But I, I think he's a guy that you know is undervalued, a guy that's shooting up the, the draft boards, Jeremy Sohan, who I've been on from the first time I saw him. I went watched him practice also. And he was the guy, he and Kendall Brown were the two freshmen that were healthy. And uh, Kendall Brown's a good prospect. I'll get into him in a second. But Jeremy Sohan, a 6'9", can guard anyone. Rebounds the hell out of the basketball. A very good passer. Uh, doesn't, didn't shoot it well, but, but I love his release. And he's got a spirit about him. Like, you, he plays with a spirit and a joy. And we see him move up the draft board because of his size, his defensive commitment, and his versatility offensively and defensively. Kendall Brown is kind of in the lower first round, probably at six eight, but he is the best passing transition big I've saw all year, uh, and a freakish, freakish, freakish athlete. Uh, so you know those guys in it. You know the, the, the older guys. I, I think we, you know, like to me, what, what's your take? Why don't people like people say oh, he's twenty two years old? You know, you know why, why, why draft him? What what why like? But if he was a European player mm-hmm. and he was twenty two and he played in the Euroleague, all right, people would draft him. But because a guy's a went to four years of college or three years of college like EJ Liddell or four years of college, uh, three years of college like Wendell Moore, you know, people will shy away. Why? I look at Jalen Brunson. I look mm-hmm. at Malcolm Brogdon. I look at my guy, Dorian Finney-Smith. You know, there, there are so many guys. They, they bring a maturity and an understanding and an understanding of acceptance of roles because they've been through. Like Wendell Moore is a, a guy, you talk about a fit for a 3D guy. He play, he's played with all these great players. He's played yep. with all these great players, you know, from, you know. Uh, it's valuable. I'm pretty sure. He, yeah, so he understands how to play with other good players. They're like you got to understand, you got to have guys that are willing to play with good players, and not have to be the best player on the team. And that's what you get with the EJ Liddells and the Wendell Moores 
and and the guy, the more experienced players in this draft. And I think that I think those guys are severely severely uh, undervalued. Andrew Nebhard goes into that role. Mm-hmm. All right, he's a perfect backup guard. Jake Laravia from Wake Forest, who's moving up the draft board. All right, understands a role, has a maturity about him, can make a shot. So I, I'm interested to see where those type of guys end up because I always say when I speak to these scouts and, and, and GMs, why? Why do you undervalue these guys? Mm-hmm. Because those guys who undervalue all end up helping teams win. Yeah. They're not as sexy. They're not as sexy. You know, you might get booted, you know, you know, you know, in your town when they, they get drafted, but but they're good winning players. And and that's that's interesting to me. Why? I mean, so what what do the GMs and the scouts say? Because, you know, GM Taylor Schwink would would especially later on. I would certainly draft guys with more experience for all of those reasons you just said. So what is it? Where do they draw the line? Potential. 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 But I mean, can they really tell? Can they really see, tell like, it? Like. But, well, let, let me ask you this: yeah. Why doesn't a twenty-two-year-old have still have potential? I I don't like, know. Like that's my thing. Like you're twenty-two years old. What do you mean? You don't have any right? Exactly. Anymore? You're not an old man. I mean, twenty-two. You're, you're dumb like, idiot. Uh, twenty-two. Twenty-two. You're, I, like you don't have room for growth. <laughs> I, I like. Well, we could, we'll draft a nineteen-year-old. Well, yeah, he's three years younger, but he he's got great room for growth. You know, and like you know, we're looking at these like G League night guys, and and they're all good players. You know, the Dyson Daniels, uh, James Hardy, those guys. Uh, but let's face it, they're as big a ifs as anyone. Mm-hmm, like, of course. Uh, like here, here's the thing, Dyson Daniels, and I, I just I want to uh, get, get this right. I mean, he's a nice player. He shot 25% from the three-point line Oof. in the G League. That's not the NBA. <laughs> no. James Hardy shot 26% from the three-point line. That's now they brutal. do other things, and they and you know, obviously they're younger players, but you know, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. Like here, I'll, I'll use an example. Jalen Williams, kid from Santa Clara. Not a lot of people know him. Actually, he's a guy that I think the Wizards mentioned also. Mm. Another small forward. <laughs> he's six six with a seven two wingspan. Yeah, he's older. He's also a forty percent three point shooter. Right? He shot forty percent from the three. <laughs> All right. These guys are shooting twenty six percent in the G League. All right. Excellent passer. Not a good passer. Jalen Williams is a terrific passer. High basketball IQ, great feel, uh, terrific position defender, played for a really good coach in Herb Sendek. Like someone drafts Jalen Williams and, and his fan, their fan base might lose their minds. Mm-hmm. Because we, you know, we, you know, hey, wait a second, he played in the West Coast Conference, he played Gonzaga. But, but he has a chance to be like uh, what, what Benbury, the kid from St. Joe's who had, who's had a really good career. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, you know, they, look, there's a lot of guys, you know, my, my concerns are we also have a lot of guys that put their names in draft or could get drafted. And we've got to figure out a way now that you can have representation. Now you can have NIL. If a kid puts his name in draft, doesn't get drafted. He should be able to go back to college. Oh yeah. That, that seems like a no brainer to me. And I'm glad we're because, in Because I mean, it, it, it ties right into right. Taylor doesn't tie right into it ties right into NIL and ties right into having an agent. Well, you can have an agent, and you are basically, which is pay for play, NIL, which is pay for play. If you don't get drafted, you have an agent. Well, you could have had an agent before. 
Mm-hmm. And if you took money, it makes no difference because you've already taken, you can take money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I mean, like, like why can't you go back? Okay. I mean, like, why can't a guy who's a good academic standing go back? Yeah. It's lame. Especially. Yeah. If you, if you don't get drafted, like they should be allowed to do whatever they want and, and it's proven. I mean, like drew Timmy and Armando Baycott, like, you know, there's, there's money to be made. There's a, it's a, it's a different oh, style of play, but you know, if these guys the are bigs, just looking, the bigs all came back. Right. All the bigs came back. And it's Hunter it, Dickinson, Baycott, Trace Jackson Davis, Oscar Sheboy, Armando Baycott. I mean, they all came back. Yeah. And it's, I, I think it's cool that there's been proven to be a market there for it and that these guys can, can earn a real living along with their college degree, which is also important. Um, so this is whole, this whole thing has been very interesting to watch play out. Um, I wanted to close out with one last thing. I want to go into the vault of Seth Greenberg. And as you coached high level college basketball for a long time, you had plenty of players go through the draft process. Do you know, do you know how many you had drafted throughout the years? Uh, Marlon Wilder, Lucius Harris, Brian Russell, uh, the lady didn't get drafted. He played in the league. Um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, I didn't have a ton of guys drafted. I had a lot of, like Russell and and, and uh, Terrell Eddy played in the league. Dorian Finney Smith didn't get drafted, but played in the league. Uh, uh, we had. Uh, Try to think of uh, along my pit stops, but it, it's it's a great one thing. The draft is a is is a great day, but the the big thing is guys need to be ready to to uh, embrace a new role. So how do you how do you get those guys ready? What's your role in the draft process, and how do you get these guys ready for this next step? That's what I'm curious about. Well, the the, the, the biggest the biggest thing, and, and I did have a ton of guys that worked out for people. And mm-hmm. uh, the biggest thing is during the process, whether it's Portsmouth, whether it's the NBA Combine, uh, whether it's individual workouts. Uh, my advice was real simple: show people what you can do, without what you can't do. Mm-hmm. When you go in your interviews really really sell being the best teammate you can be the best teammate you can be all right that you just want you want to add to winning but and then in the workouts all right be the first guy there the last guy to leave uh don't be afraid to ask questions all right look you know it's like the same thing look people square in the eye uh and have good questions people want players that are inquisitive mm-hmm. um but the biggest thing is for these guys to understand it's great to get, you know, drafted or whatever. Like sometimes it's better to be free agent. Uh, Dorian Finney Smith was able to pick the Dallas Mavericks. He just signed a 40 plus million dollar contract. The second contract, they signed a 12 million dollar contract. Lucius Harris and Brian Russell uh, last in the league 12 years, you know? Um, I just think the hardest thing right now for these players is like Jalen Dirt, all right? Like, I think he's overvalued and I think he's starting to drop because I don't think he, I think he moves his feet and he can rebound the ball, but like he could end up getting drafted and then being in the G League. I can tell you one thing he'll make money, but his life in the G League won't be as good as his life at Memphis. No, I always think about that. I really think these guys don't consider they are rock stars. They could do anything they want on these college campuses. And then they're going to be shuttling around on a bus in the G league. I just feel like they don't, they don't have that perspective. And a lot of the times they're, I mean, especially their handlers, the people they deal with don't have that perspective either. So it is always very interesting, which is why I like this trend of these big men going back. And hopefully we see a little bit more of that as the, as the years go on. 
you go from charter planes, Ritz Carlton's, W's, <laughs> it's amazing uh, to bags fly free, playing in front of no one. If you play on ESPN, you're playing an afternoon game in the G League as opposed to turning on the TV at seven o'clock at night watching Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke, North Carolina, and you know Maryland, Virginia, and the ACC Big Ten Challenge or whatever. It, it's 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 tough. And then the other thing is. And this is a really concern, and 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 uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to Caleb Swanigan and his family, and the Purdue basketball family. Is a lot of times you have these guys, and this is my concern with NIL. And this is off the subject of the draft, but it it, it kind of resonated with me. I actually woke up this morning, and I, it kind of shook me a little bit. You've got these guys in the NIL, and they're making they're going to make real money, and then that's going to end, and they're going to go either get drafted or not get drafted mm-hmm. and say they make real money could be four hundred, five hundred, six thousand dollars and then they're going to go into a situation where they're playing in the g league or they're playing in an obscure country and they're not making real money all right and their lifestyle was x when they were making that real money and then all of a sudden it has to change and they're not what what you just said the rock star they're just a guy you know traveling around in the g league and we always talk about mental health. Uh, and then all of a sudden you start questioning yourself and what went wrong and why. And it, it really concerns me that we've, we've got to spend as much time in a transition program. And I always use the term building bridge because there is a bridge to be built from your playing career to your professional career to living the rest of your life without that fandom. Mm-hmm. And I think with NIL, it, it really, really, I got to be honest with you, it really concerns me. Yeah. And again, you know, these guys not really understanding what they're getting into. I mean, like you just said, going to Europe, going to a country where there's a language oh. barrier, you're living in ba- probably a lot of times like a dorm, essentially, that the team provides or is like subsidized or whatever. Uh, you don't know anyone. I mean, and, and then again, you're riding around a bus uh, over all over France or Greece or Bahrain yeah. or like wherever it is. And, and that's not exactly exciting. Yeah, I mean, most guys they have a nice apartment. Some of them get a car, but I mean, you know, you're making people understand Europe. Unless you're really Malcolm Delaney, you're making sixty to one hundred thousand dollars, and you got a free apartment. You but you come home after six years of playing over there, probably not saving a lot of money, and then yet you, you don't have your college degree if you left early. Mm-hmm. Right, you're twenty eight, thirty years old. What's next? Yeah, and that's my that's my concern uh, for for all that. I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent. No, I, I think that's a great way to end it. To uh, to look at the other side of it. a lot of guys, we're going to see go undrafted on Thursday night, and their their futures are up in the air. So this is you know it's not all glitz and glam. Like it, it's it's a very good point to be made, and we make it a lot here on the Bald Men on Campus podcast. So Seth Greenberg, it's been an absolute pleasure talking hoops with you on this podcast. Uh- you're the best, brother. I appreciate you and enjoy the draft. And uh, we will reconvene next week with another bald head. <laughs>